Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening where we are set to continue our reflections into these special topics. So, again, if you are new to this radio program and Seeds of Truth, uh, each and every Thursday what we do here is respond to your questions, typically. So, I reserve this evening to be a time for special topics which are catering to what is in both your heart and mind. Now, I know off and on I will get into subject matter that isn't necessarily an explicit response to your question, but a special topic nonetheless. This Thursday, I am responding to a question, and as I was noting a few days ago, a question that I was really excited to respond to because it kind of helped me reorganize some thoughts. And the question was this, what are the questions we need to be asking if we are going to progress in the spiritual life? So essentially, as I respond to to your question, you in return are asking me a question, and that is just fine, because it is about asking questions that we get to the heart of our faith. So this evening is going to be about responding to this question. What are the questions we need to be asking if we are going to progress in the spiritual life. So I thought by getting at this question, we should start with the question Jesus asked, right? Who do you say that I am? In other words, who is God? You know, we often ask the question, does God exist? Or maybe I shouldn't say we, but the question is often asked, does God exist? And What I have found in my experience and in my encounters with many different people is that what is behind that question isn't so much the existence of God, but more, who is God? And maybe even more specifically, how does God reveal himself, just not to the world, but to me? You know, we use the generic term God all the time, do we not? I mean, all the time we use God. But I think we have stopped asking ourselves the necessary questions as it applies to that personal journey of faith. So when I say what we're really after is, who is God and, and how does he reveal himself to me? It's in once I start probing, I get to that question and questions. But the reality is, we are just staying on the surface. So again, this evening is an opportunity to get underneath that surface. What constitutes God? That's a part of the question as well. I mean, as a culture, we have a million different people offering up a million different definitions of God. So for all of it, what are we to do? Well, first of all, what we have to realize is that something has been revealed. Once you ask, who do you say that I am? Or who is God? And those sorts of questions, it points to the reality that we have to consider that something has been revealed outside of us. There's something to discover. And this is why, my friends, we call the Bible, sacred scripture, divine revelation, because 
there has been a revelation, one that is divine, divine revelation. You know, when this question was posed by the famous lawyer and Harvard Law professor Simon Greenleaf, who himself uh, was at best a skeptic and at worst an atheist, he really put the, the four evangelists to the test, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He put them on the stand, and he rolled up his sleeves, and he did his homework, and he really set out to disprove Christianity. He said, I'm going to disprove Christianity once and for all. Now, this was his mission. And being a lawyer, what he set out to do was essentially accumulate evidence, acquire evidence against the four evangelists. And what he came to discover surprised him. Brothers and sisters, it is all about testimony, right? What is the greatest testimony that you can give on behalf of another? But your very life. Once the reputable Simon Greenleaf came to discover beyond the Gospels themselves what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had to endure for their faith, he himself was convinced. As he put it, God put him to the stand and he wasn't quite ready for it. The testimony of the greatness of God's love overwhelmed him and he became a believer in Christ. And so I speak to this because Simon Greenleaf would remind us, yeah, that there is something to discover that not only did they give their lives over to God, in the most profound way, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all the apostles, really. John was the only one who was not martyred, but he certainly was exiled and had to endure a great deal of pain and suffering for the case of Christianity. So for Simon Greenleaf, he says what they wrote, it's worth reading, because there's something to discover. Their very lives, that is the lives of the four evangelists, had something to share. And that was the life of Jesus Christ himself, and of course, the teachings that came from, from Jesus. And so, we turn to sacred scripture. And as we do, we are mindful that sacred scripture is reliant, it is inerrant, something we can trust. And as we look to answer that question, who is God? You know, the apostles are asked the question, who do you say that I am? So, so we respond to that question. And I thought maybe the best way we can go about doing this is, well, going into sacred scripture and looking at how God, the triune God, manifested himself. So what I want to do is turn to the baptism of Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water... Immediately he saw the heavens open and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, Thou art my beloved Son, with thee I am well pleased. So there you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. How about the transfiguration? This is Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 to 13. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is well that we are here. If you wish, 
I will make three booths here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, lo, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. We'll stop there at verse 8. So I wanted to read these two accounts, the account of the baptism of Jesus and the transfiguration, because in these accounts, we have essentially a revelation into who God is. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Love given, love received, and love shared. This unity in distinction. This is who God is, but love itself. Who is God? God is love. And this is so important for us as we put this back into the context of the question itself, because if we are going to progress in the spiritual life, this is key for us to understand that above all else, God is love. Why? Because as I've spoken to this before, a lover is never satisfied, even when he is most satisfied, because love itself never tires of itself. This is the logic of Christian love. The reality that you can never exhaust God's love. There can never be too much love. There is never a time when love is inappropriate. For love is what God is. Love constitutes the very life of heaven. And this very life, of course, is what the Holy Spirit is and desires to communicate with us around the clock. It is a phenomenal thing to consider that there is no self-interestedness in God, right? He is entirely other. St. Thomas Aquinas defines love as to will the good of the other because there's no self-interestedness in God. And for us who are sinners, this should be music to our ears, right? Especially as we seek to progress in the spiritual life. I mean, what stops us in that progression but sin? What allows us to take the next step, that next necessary step, but God's mercy, God's merciful love. So we have to establish that God is love. Who is God? Love. Now, all of this leads to another question. And that question is, who does God say that you are? Who does God say that you are? Okay, so he asks us, who do you say that I am? And now he wants us to ask the more personal question. Who does God say that I am? I mean, are we ready to allow ourselves to ask that question? Such a provocative question. I mean, God knows more about us than we know about ourselves, right? And he longs, he longs to reveal himself to you more of you to you, right? As individuals, we participate in God's mystery so that the fullness of who we are might be revealed to us. Huh? That is to say, putting this in the context of me, <laughs> the more I, Joe Holcraft, participates in 
the mystery of God, the more I, Joe Holcraft, will become the person that God intended me to be. You see, each and every one of us possess a particularity, a particularity, a concreteness, a detail that is entirely unique, something that is unrepeatable. And all of this uniqueness, if you will, bursts forth when we enter into Christ because Christ reveals in his humanity what it means to be fully human. In other words, Christ reveals to us our human potential. Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI was reflecting into this. And in talking about the fullness of what it means to be human, he recognized the important work of one Francis Collins and the Human Genome Project, and how, yeah, there's something to be said about the importance of examining that so that we might realize what it means to be fully human. But that in of itself does not solve the whole equation, right? Because God can never be bound to reason itself. It uses reason, it uses science as a great instrument to consider and study so as to better understand how God works in creation, right? All of that is good, but it doesn't solve the whole equation. Why? Because we are composite body and soul. We are just not body. So the fullness of who we are as human beings can never be measured, per se, by how far we advance technologically, but who we are. And this brings us back to that discussion about who we are in relationship to what we do. Because when you start talking about technology and, and the machination of, of man, what you're focusing in on is uh, the function of the person. And if you are there, you're going to miss the boat because why? We are spiritual beings. And what Christ helps us to better understand is not only are we spiritual beings, but there is a particular glory that we are called to give back to God in what we do, but it must first surrender anywhere and everywhere to who we are. You see, my friends, we have to understand that when we have to work on something, we are made to often work on our weaknesses. All of us have weaknesses, and God challenges each and every one of us to offer our weakness back to God. Those weaknesses are clues from God on the very thing that he wants us to work on. God is always wanting to convert us more to Jesus, more to uh, the divine indwelling in the Trinity. So as he desires us to do that, we do so by offering to him our weaknesses. And as we offer to him our weaknesses, if we say to God, Lord, I am weak in this area and that area, help me, we become the better version of who God wants us to be. Now, what's more on this whole topic is that it is an extraordinary thing to think that God created you because you can manifest him like no one else. On the flip side, if you don't fully become who you are, then a part of his mystery will forever be hidden. Have you ever thought about that before? I mean, think about that. That God created you because you can manifest him like no one else can. But on the flip side, if you don't fully become who you are, 
then a part of his mystery will never be known because there'll never be another you. Right? There's never going to be another Joe Holcraft. There's never going to be another put your name in that sentence. This is why it is so important for us to become the person that God intended us to be. And it starts with us recognizing where we need more of God in our life. So, that larger second question, if we are going to progress in the spiritual life, should be caught up in that, who does God say you are? Who does God say you are? Each and every one of us will have a different response to that question, for sure. Now, all that being said, certainly that leads to, I think, another question. Do I take ownership of my faith? If you are sitting there and, and, and making the observation that, well, this question just doesn't really apply to me, this just isn't really relevant to me because that is not a question I am ready to ask. Well, <laughs> this question is for you, as it is for all of us in one way or another. Do we take ownership of our faith? I mean, do you believe what you believe because of what you were told to believe? Or maybe what culture is telling you what you should believe and, and not believe? The Christian faith can quickly morph into something that it was never originally intended to become. This is a, a great tool of Satan, right? So he says, this is what Christianity is, and it's often the opposite because Satan is just doing what he does best, hijacking, parroting, plagiarizing truth itself. Satan is the great plagiarizer. He's the father of all lies. And so he wants you to think that Christianity is something that it is not. And we have to regard the words of Jesus Christ here when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There isn't a million different definitions of Christianity. There's only one because there's only one Christ. And that Christ was just not a way, a truth, and a life, but what did he say? The truth, the way, and the life. And so it is coming to understand and discovering the deeper meaning of what he came to reveal. This is why I spend some time this evening in responding to your question on the importance of divine revelation. Something has been revealed outside of us and we have to roll up our sleeves and work in the tall grass so as to come to discover what Jesus has revealed. Just not in the Word of God, but creation itself. Very, very important. So have we taken ownership of our faith? Or are we just living a faith according to someone else other than Jesus Christ? You are not going to progress in the spiritual life if your faith is not tied to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now lastly, as we talk about who Jesus is and, and who we are in light of who Jesus is, we need to make sure we are asking the question, what is prayer and what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? There will be no progress in the spiritual life if we don't ask that question, what is prayer? It is incredible how often we can just kind of float through our life of faith without asking ourselves this most basic question. What is prayer, and why do we follow Christ? I think to some degree we've already answered the, the part B to that question, why do we follow Christ? We do so as, so as to become the best version of who God calls us to be. 
But what about the question of prayer? Especially in light of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, when he says, pray without ceasing. I mean, that, that verse should trouble us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 should trouble us. Did Paul just say what I thought he said, pray without ceasing? Remember what we talked about a few days ago with Mark Twain. What did he say? It's not so much the scriptures I don't understand that bother me, as it is the scriptures that I do understand that bother me. Coming to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, and this call we have to pray without ceasing should make us uncomfortable to the point that it leads us to, well, pray without ceasing. To be simply, my friends, in conversation with God around the clock. To have that very real, palpable conversation with God. What does any good conversation entail? Someone speaking and someone listening, right? If you don't have someone speaking or you don't have someone listening, then you don't have a conversation. (laughs) All right? A lot of us love to speak. Some of us like to listen. But do we enjoy to speak and listen? Preferably listening more. This is what not only any good conversation is about. This is what the life of prayer is always caught up in. And now there's many modes of prayer. We don't have time to get into all of that right now, but what I do want us to understand is the importance of prayer as it relates to the spiritual life. Because in one of those more poignant truths of the spiritual life, that God desires, we desire God as much as God desires us, we can only know that truth, enter into that truth, internalize that truth, if we are in constant conversation with God. If you were to draw this out in the courtship analogy, I mean, how many relationships withstand the test of time if you are not in conversation with the person who you are in relationship with? Well, it's just going to crumble. It's just going to disappear. And so this is why we have to be constant in our prayer and why St. Paul says what he says in his first letter to the Thessalonians. And so, yeah, prayer at the heart of that question. How do we progress in the spiritual life? Understanding that there is formal prayer and informal prayer. What is formal prayer? Well, as Catholics, of course, the Eucharist is the most formal and uh, most important prayer. What else does Jesus teach us but the Our Father? That prayer we pray at the beginning of each and every radio program is a formal prayer. But even within that formal prayer, what are we doing? Having an intimate conversation with God. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, blessed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We are praying those words that as we pray them, we might fulfill God's will. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Especially as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The petitions in the Our Father are intended to be intimate. Now, we speak to informal prayer within the context of just that more casual conversation we are having with Jesus Christ throughout our day. Maybe putting the name of Jesus on your lips when you are listening to someone to to help guide you and better understand them and, and maybe help steer you in what to say. Or you're just having a more casual conversation with Jesus as you're going for a walk, telling Jesus about your day. 
We are to talk to Jesus like we talk to those who are closest to us, mindful that, again, he knows our heart more than we know our own, and he desires to speak to our heart. But we have to be open. And so this is very much a part of this last question. Are we open? Are we disposed to receive Jesus Christ? Have you put your foot in the sand? Are your arms tucked? Are you glaring at God? Or are you walking with him, arms open, with a smile, ready to embrace him? Where are you at? If we are going to progress in the spiritual life, these are the kinds of questions that we need to be asking. We need to respond to that first question, who do you say that I am? Asking another question alongside of that. Who is God? And maybe two questions. How does he reveal himself to me? We consider sacred scripture, mindful that God is love. And as such, he desires nothing but the best for us. Who does God say that I am? And as we answer that question, mindful that it is his deepest desire to reveal to us the fullness of who we are and our potential, and that that potential will be realized in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are then led to ask other questions. Am I taking ownership of my faith? Am I living a life of prayer? Am I following Christ? If we aren't asking those kinds of questions, then we might not progress in the spiritual life as we ought. We might not move, advance, in the spiritual life as we ought. And so it is. On the heels of those questions, I close with one last question, as it's put on my heart now. <laughs> Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? What motivates you? What or who is your one love? Amen. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.